Hello, this is Richard Outram, and welcome to the Prepare for Growth podcast series, bite-sized wisdom for leadership and personal development. So thank you for taking time out to join me. I'm so grateful for this unique opportunity. In this week's Prepare for Growth podcast, I'm thrilled to introduce Dr. Jerry Outram. Prior to his retirement last year, Jerry Outram was the head of technology scouting and open innovation at Bayer Crop Science. Prior to that, he was senior scientific affairs coordinator for the rest of the world for Aventis Crop Science. He also held the post of director of environmental chemistry for Rome Palenk AG. Dr. Altram has traveled the world scouting emerging technologies in the field of crop science. He has headed innovation programs for global companies, as well as research and development for the National Cancer Institute here in the United States. His main interests are the protection of crops for human consumption, and in the past, the possible implications of environmental pollutants in human cancer. Dr. Outram holds a PhD in chemistry from the Imperial College in London. He has a passion for sports, and in particular, that lovely game of cricket. If you haven't already guessed, he is my dear brother as well. I endearingly call him BJ, for short, my brother Jerry. And I'm so thrilled to have you on this podcast session today, BJ. And so the usual framework of these podcast sessions, as as you know, three main sections. What have you learned? What would you change? And what are you grateful for? And with that first part, in terms of what have you learned, BJ, if we can kick it off, tell us a bit more about your life's work and your passion to improve lives around the world. Well, thank you very much, Richard. And it's nice to be here. Uh, in a podcast with you. It's the first time we've done something like this together and it's fantastic. Um, you, you talked about my life's work and, and so I, I imagine uh, life as a, as a kind of a book. There's a, there's a starting point, a uh, middle bit and an end and an epilogue. And, and I wanted to kind of frame that in terms of um, our childhood uh, and how it actually framed some of the values that, uh, that's taken me through, uh, through life. And of course, there are lots of academic uh, journals you can read and, and things are, are explained. You think, oh, wow, that's why I did it. But actually, sometimes it's just family life. And so I just wanted to raise a few points. We've got, for example, you know, we were a migrant family in the UK. Mother and father had uh, traveled from one part of the world to another to better themselves and uh, better their family uh, and better, better their children. And uh, dad uh, didn't really want, uh, in the, and this is an innovation context, he didn't want incremental growth. He didn't want us to kind of uh, polish ourselves a little bit and, and make it look good. He didn't want us to have the life they did. He wanted us to jump to the next level. And so in that, uh, in that context, he, he, he pushed us hard to get a good education. He pushed us hard to uh, you know, make uh, good, good uh, decisions. He supported us. He worked very hard. Mum worked very hard to actually give us the chance to do that. And if I take that innovation uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, path, you know, he invested in us. He invested in some risky uh, uh, challenges and, and some riskier than others. But uh, finally, uh, those investments uh, mapped out. Uh, you know, you're an accountant. Uh, we've got uh, two sisters in uh, educational in very, very good jobs. We've got another one that uh, is, is uh, in the family uh, business. We've got another sister is in the legal profession. And so the first lesson is, uh, you know, uh, set challenges. Don't go for the basic stuff and really push your organization, but please make sure you have the right resources 
the right capability, the right nurturing to make that happen. The second thing that framed us as a family was basically we're always taught to, uh, to do good, to be good, to be kind, to be considerate of other people. Uh, if you're walking in the street, spend a few minutes to spend that time with that person because it, it means a lot to them as well as yourself. And so when you talk about being a good person, I put that in terms of uh, value. And, you know, innovation is described as something that creates value. Uh, and value uh, is for a, a customer, a consumer, that hopefully in the business organization makes you money. And what we learned, actually, value could be not only commercial stuff, it could be the, the value of giving hope to people. And that, that's what the family uh, taught us. It taught us to actually try to be good people, be honorable people, be authentic people, be trustworthy people. The third part, as I reflect on that, our growing up, our house was always full of people, friends, family, uh, uh, basically different professions. We had lawyers, accountants, bus drivers, electricians, doctors, uh, teachers. We even had a, a, a record engineer in our family, a whole variety of skills, different races, uh, di different uh, uh, religions. And, and what I learned there was actually we had lots of strong arguments. And actually everybody had an opinion and you learn from those people. And so that was the value of actually understanding that actually seeking uh, the inputs of others who know different things to you will never know everything. And I think, you know, the, the wanting to push us beyond the uh, incremental growth, high growth, trying to be good people, and also the value of networking and the value of engaging with other people, stop being a silo and actually work with others you will get better answers, better solutions. They were the things that actually we grew up in in early days, and, and they have very, very strong relevance uh, to, to basically our, our, um, our, our innovation life and our, our commercial life. The, the, the one thing for me, um, as we moved from, from the family home into um, university and did my degree, I also did postgraduate degree, and I worked with some fantastic academics, Nobel Prize winners, and they taught me a lot about how you go about uh, researching, how you go about organizing yourself. And this is uh, something I've followed through in, in my life. So when you have an idea, it should be associated with a problem. You should uh, dissect that problem to the nth degree, fully understand your problem, spend more time understanding your problem than actually what ideas you have. And once you've got that uh, problem sorted out, see how your idea fits into it. Describe some experiments that actually could give you the right answers. Collect the results critically look and assess your results, maybe repeat some experiments along the way and communicate them. In, in the academic world, you communicate at conferences and symposiums and you're communicating to people who don't really have an input or, 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 or a knowledge of the subject you're talking about. But they are also critical thinkers. And what you learn is actually you have these variety of different opinions that actually help to make your arguments, your hypothesis stronger. And so basically what, you, what I've learned is along the way, you know, Engaging with other people in a humble, polite, friendly, good way is the best way of actually uh, getting very, very strong um, um, solutions to, to the nutty problems that you have. And that's something that uh, I, I've learned uh, along the way, Richard. And um, you, know, you, you, you hit on a, a, a fabulous point because it, it, part of this is obviously the fundamentals of value, right? Uh, of, our, of our values. And you talked about our family life and um, you know, mum and dad, particularly would always 
address situations in, in, in the frame of how do you make lives better? How do you make lives better? I, I would say that was a very, very profound um, you know, theme in our upbringing. Um, and then secondly, what I would say, and, and this is more of our dear mum, because she was really the kind of the home, the home carer for the most part for all, all six of us at home. She would do her rounds every night. Uh, she would champion us just being our authentic self. Um, she would always encourage new ideas. She would do her rounds to each of our bedrooms and, you know, as a group as well. And um, I always remember that, um, you know, there was never a silly situation. There was never a silly suggestion. She always welcomed new ideas, new suggestions, always asked how our day was. Um, but most of all, and more importantly of all, she promoted us to be our authentic self. And, um, Absolutely. That, and I think, you know, for me... Yeah. Go ahead. And, and, and for me, you know, when you, when you wrap that all together, I can give you a couple of examples of things in my um, academic and professional life which uh, encapsulates to all of those things. So, so uh, I, you know, I worked for a major agrochemical company and over 25 years. I have to say one thing. I'm actually very fortunate. I'm very lucky. I don't consider myself the smartest, but I'm very lucky. I was born in the, in the country at a certain time where education was available to me and, and, and I think I took dedication, but by no means do I consider myself smart. There are people who have not been given the chance I've had. And uh, through um, hard work and, and dedication, I managed to work for uh, large companies for 34 years and, and, and I was able to retire when I wanted to do so. Along the way, you know, lots of things uh, helped shape me. So, um, and of course, I'm still bound by some confidentiality <laughs> restrictions. So I can tell you about 25 years ago, I was in uh, chemical R&D, and, and we uh, came up with this uh, candidate that was uh, it was going to it was perceived as being a blockbuster, but it was a nutty problem. We had the project teams working on it, uh, and, and so it came to me um, to actually look at this problem, this nutty problem, uh, and come up with some creative solutions that uh, we, we could follow and, and, and we did that through the work of a project team and the reward that I got from uh, the company was actually I was uh, asked to be the team leader to, to accept an innovation prize in the company. Innovation prize was an early commercialization and it's really you know when we look at the innovators yes it's good to to solve problems but the organization also has to take care of them, it has to reward and recognize them and uh, for, for, for that uh, product actually um, it's been on the marketplace many, many years now, but I can tell you that in, in the mid-2000s, it was already in animal health, companion health. It was already in agriculture, and it was already in public health. And uh, the turnover was in excess of uh, a billion euros. And so that was all to do with basically working with teams, critical thinking, and coming up with some creative solutions and, and working along the way. The second thing is a bit uh, uh, further on the pipeline is a couple of years ago, and I guess this is where you bring all these uh, skills and knowledge that you have from working in different countries, uh, different teams, uh, different skill sets. And I was involved in, in, the, in, in the kind of a corporate strategy team. How do you drive innovation in a large company in the context of technologies changing the world right now? The world is hyper-connected, technology is everywhere. Uh, and it's the agent of change. And how in this global, hyper-connected, highly competitive world, how do you position yourself to be a leading organization that will survive? Because many of them do not survive. How do you make sure you're always staying ahead of the curve? And it's no point being second. You have to be first. So we, we spend a lot of time developing our strategy. And, and one of the, the pleasures I had there was really to get involved with building platforms 
where we can engage uh, every single employee in the company. And we have examples of where, where they were able to help us solve problems, new product development, uh, coming up with new models on business. And so that's something I'm very proud of. And it's all about defining the problem and taking people along with you, but ensuring that everybody gets involved. The third bit is, and this is more about, you talked about, you know, lifelong value, and this is more to do with the value, not always with commercial. Uh, many years ago, um, uh, my wife and I, we, we involved ourselves with four other parents group because there was a gap. Uh, there was a gap for special needs children. There was no way for them to actually get the education that they deserve. There was no way they could get one-on-one -on -one education for their personal needs. And so the problem was that there wasn't uh, uh, enough resources for these uh, young, young people. And so we set about uh, uh, solving this problem by building our own school. And you talk about problem solving, you talk about creative solutions. We knew nothing about how you set up a curriculum for special needs children. We knew nothing about how you set up a charity. We knew nothing about how you build a, a school. We knew nothing about how you fundraise. But with a lot of hard work, perseverance, trial and error, engaging the right people, I can tell you, Richard, that, um, uh, that 15 years on, it's running. Uh, there are 30 uh, young, uh, young people in there. Each one of them has their own tutor, one-on-one, -on -one, personalizing their stuff. And to me, that's, uh, that, that's something that's uh, it, it's, it's a value. It's, you know, we talk about value and in the commercial world, you know, innovation is something that uh, creates value that customers will pay, that gives you money, right, you get income. Sometimes for me, value is a bit more than that. And, and to me, how can you put value when you see a young pupil that had nothing before coming out of his car and running to school because you've given them hope? You know, value is, is a lot more than just uh, money. It's actually trying to be good. And so they're the things that uh, framed my growing up. They're the things that framed me as an adult uh, going forward. And it's due to the family, it's due to my siblings, it's due to all of us and, and making this suit together. How oh, beautiful, BJ. And, uh, you know, I, I echo that, you know, 300%. Wonder, what, what, what wonderful themes there. We're going to get to, you know, you mentioned a couple of things about, uh, you know, current times and global innovation. We're going to get to, I'm sure, the, Listeners want, want to hear about your views on, a, you know, innovation changing in a post-COVID environment. We're going to get to that later because we want to start on the building blocks. And so the first building block question really um, from a corporate standpoint is, uh, you know, certainly we know that executives understand that the ability to innovate is a secret source of business success. We all know that. But they're stumped by following questions. How would you answer them? And the, and the three questions are, how do I find innovative people in my organization? And how can I become more innovative myself? And what makes innovative innovators different? Uh, you know, how, how would you answer that package of questions? So how do you find innovative people? In your, well, the first thing I'll tell you, Richard, is that you probably do have innovative people in your organization. <laughs> it's just that you haven't paid the time to actually find them. There are innovative people all the way in, in your teams, in your HR teams, in your finance teams, in your manufacturing teams, in every single discipline. There are innovative people there. But then you have to ask yourself, have I set up the right culture that allows them to feel that, that actually it's valued, to feel that they will not be laughed at, to feel that actually they will be valued? Have I set up enough training to, to allow them to uh, uh, understand how you go about problem solving in, in the structured way? You know, for me, uh, every single employee in any company actually uh, could be an innovator. It's not a silo. It's not the responsibility of the people at the innovation team. Actually, that's very, very old-fashioned. Now, it's more about 
And this is what the smart companies are trying to do. How do you engage those people in your organizations? And, and for example, Richard, you know, we talked about uh, our passion for cricket and, and we love other sports uh, and you love uh, music and, and you love uh, listening to documentaries, the documentaries you listen to, maybe the different ones than I listen to. And so you can't cover everything. But, you know, for, for example, when you go to a cricket match and, and we're sitting there having a, a, um, rum and coke and enjoying the sunshine and, and watching the West Indies beat England, for example. <laughs> You know, you're, uh, you're, you're looking at things differently. You're, you may be thinking, wow, that, look at that cricket bat. Look at all those holes in that cricket. How can the guy hit the ball that far with a, you know, with a bat that looks defective? But, you know, the ball gets hit far away. You know, I, you could be looking at the helmet. My gosh, that ball at 90 miles an hour has hit someone in the helmet. And, and the, what kind of material is that? Because I know if I wear my bike helmet and the ball hits me, you know, it's going to hurt me. I'll be looking at, you know, I remember the days when I used to question the umpire's LBW decision, and I see Hawkeye is now able to predict with a certain degree of accuracy whether or not it's going to miss the stamp or hit the stamp. All those experience that you have uh, in, in the music world, in, in the sports world, in fine dining, uh, all technology uh, stuff. Richard, when you, when you prepare, when someone is coming up with an idea, it's not fully cooked. It's a half-baked uh, uh, idea. It needs other things to make it happen. When you've got a problem, you know, and you go to the same people all the time, you're going to get the same answer. So what are you going to do to spark, to make uh, things happen much more quickly, much more uh, uh, stronger solutions for your customers? And that's where you need to have the diversity of innovators. You need to get the people in your organization to get involved. And there are lots of things that you can do. As I mentioned, you can train them, you can get them mentors in the organization, but there are simple things you can do. When you have your uh, team meetings, you could say, uh, everyone in the, in the team, I would like you to come up with a problem that you're facing in your area of responsibility. Is it our uh, you know, forecasting needs to get improved? Is it uh, delivery needs to get improved? Is it we need to, how, how come we can't recruit the right people? How can we better partner with the third parties outside? And you, as a team, you present those and you create a culture, an environment which is open, trustworthy, and you're fostering uh, the goodwill of the people, you're rewarding and recognizing them. And I think you'd be surprised what you find when you create that right culture. People, you know, they shouldn't be holding themselves back. They should feel free to make mistakes and you should allow them to make mistakes because the first idea they have may not be good. You don't tell them it's rubbish, you know, it's not good. The second one may not uh, be good. The third one may not be good. But the 10th one could be the gem. Absolutely. And so what you have to do is to maintain that interest in that innovator in your organization that you suddenly found reward and recognize them and keep on motivating them, make them feel as part of the company. So your, your innovators are, are in the, the company already. You just need to go and look and find them and help support them. Absolutely, absolutely. And so as a scientist, you, you know, I, I'm sure there's, a, there's a, a playbook in terms of how you go about your, your research and development. And so, the, you know, the typical path of, of associations, questioning, observing, experimenting, and, and networking, a, a typical kind of phases of, of, of the playbook. But I've always been a, a firm pro proponent is, you know, uh, you know, in businesses, we may have all the answers. What we don't have is the right questions, or we don't have the questions. And so, yeah. you know, sparking that creativity and that thought process, as you mentioned, and brainstorming by asking the questions of why, why not, and what if, you know, breeds creativity. And, and uh, you know, my observations in the corporate world is we probably don't ask enough questions or the right questions anyway.
How, how would you respond to that in your experience? Yeah, I, I, I think uh, you, it's, a, it's a very, very important point, which is once you start to ask questions, the deep questions, and the more questions you ask, you actually start to define the problem much, much more accurately. Yeah. If uh, you do a, 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 a half-baked job, you'll, you will not understand the, the problem. So if you're thinking of a customer, for example, you, know, you need to, to interact with the customer on and on and on because the customer may think he, uh, this is his problem, but actually uh, it could be something else. So you have to translate what they believe to be a problem into what, you could, what, what is the problem and how you can come up with a solution. So the, the whole point of you know, critical thinking is to really make sure you go to it. And, and, there are, and, and to become more innovative in your company, you know, there are training courses that will help you. There, there are games that you can play. And, and so there are lots of resources that are available. You know, there, there are TED Talks, there are tutorials. You will see uh, solutions in your organization which will inspire people to, to keep on asking and, and, and going further. So become more innovative and, and get that critical thinking. Yes, you need to keep on having a culture where you keep on asking questions and not focus on your solution as a first step. Keep on going with, with, uh, with probing until you're absolutely confident that that is that the, the problem that you're, you're talking about. That's what I would say. Absolutely. Great answer. Great answer, BJ. And so you've been around the world. You've probably been to most countries in the world. You've, you've traveled all the corners of, of the world. If you, could, uh, if you could skinny it down to your, you know, over 35 years or so of, of, of your experience in uh, building innovative cultures, what, what would be your playbook? If, 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 if you're advising a company right now who's you know, struggling with getting the right level of innovation and you, and you could kind of just summarize you know, your experience from all the corners of the world, what would be your playbook for building an, an innovative culture? Well, I think the first of all, um, you know, the, an organization is made up of many layers. Uh, you have the senior executives, you have your middle management, and then you have uh, the, the, the folks in the organization, bowels of the organization, making things happen. And so the, the first thing in, in terms of the playbook, I think the organization needs to understand that it's time for change. It needs to understand that the world is changing, the world is becoming more competitive all the time. You haven't got the luxury of waiting and doing a me too. Uh, and actually, it's known that companies will disappear in COVID. Many, many companies will not start back up again because they they were on on the edge already, and and, the, and 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 all the you know the pandemic. Some companies will not come back, and so if your company wants to come back, it has to stay ahead of the curve. That means you cannot rely only on your internal resources. You have to in, you also have to go on external resources. You have to find the best way of leveraging that know-how. And most of the progressive companies uh, have got that. Uh, and, 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 you know, when you look at how you, how you can become uh, successful uh, in, in, the, in the future in terms of the playbook, you know, you have to understand that actually it's not just innovation for innovation's sake. It's innovation that's linked to a purpose. Uh, it's innovation which has a, a, a customer at, at the end of it all. It also has to include your marketing teams, for example. It's, it's basically a handshake. Uh, and so you need to look at your innovation team. You need to have your, your portfolio defined. You need to make sure that you're understanding how you're going to pay your bills for the short term, the medium term. But you have to say, look at the mega trends. Look what's going on in the world. Look what's going on with digitization. Look what's going on with com competition come from places we never heard of. 
No, it's not the it's not the standard competition. How are we going to cope with all that? How are you going to go cope with climate change? How are you going to go with customer needs? Because the balance of power now is customers are almost dictating, uh, you know, uh, what goes on there. And so when you're looking at all these things and you're looking at a portfolio, you have to put your bets into the future. You have to say, I am going to put my money on some disruptive uh, ideas in the, in the future. And it's how I set about creating, the, the, keeping your business afloat, making sure you're doing a proper uh, um, product development, making sure you're solving problems as quickly as possible. So you're maintaining your time to market. You're making the machine work all the time. You're making, you're, you're simplifying your processes. You're improving all your forecasting. You're getting the products in marketplace. And then while at the same time, you're saying, how am I building up the capability to be able to experiment? And how am I building up the capability to take on these disruptive uh, uh, projects in the future? How am I going to manage that risk? How am I going to bring in consultants to help me do that? How am I going to do that? So the playbook, it's, uh, it's multifaceted. It's basically... How do you keep, how do you help solve problems in your organization? How can you engage in the uh, innovators in your organization? How can you um, uh, get new ideas on products? How can you get new ideas on how to improve our process so we're better than competition? We're always faster than competition. How can I get uh, ways of, uh, you know, the, the platforms where uh, organizations are set up where they can crowdsource solutions from all their employees? Uh, you know, they're, they're, all the major companies have that. The, the organization like Shell that have got Game Changer, it's looking for completely disruptive ideas and it's looking as a way of managing, it's giving grants to manage these ideas. And so the playbook is how do you engage your internal organization? How do you make it slicker? How do you look for improvements? How are you going to manage high risk uh, projects in the future, which you desperately will need? And then the, the other part is, how are you going to access that knowledge from the outside? How are you going to identify where that emerging technology, how are you going to source it? How are you going to make sure you're first in the queue? So the playbook, Richard, is all about inspiring people. It's making sure you've got your internal organization fixed. It's everybody's, everybody's focused on the fact that the world has changed. Technology is driving change. Technology, like some people say the future is here already. It's just that maybe in your organization, you're looking in the wrong place. Yeah. You, know, you should be looking at uh, the, the gaming industry, the, the driving industry, the banking industry, they're, they're in the science industry, their technology is going on all the time. And so you have to look in the right place. And that, that uh, playbook is all about engaging your organization in driving and supporting the change while you're building your uh, portfolio for the future and putting your money on, the, on those projects with the highest chance of success and making sure you use your resources effectively. So that's the kind of stuff I would uh, say is a playbook. But the first point is, what is the business strategy? Why, what's the purpose? Why that needs to be very well defined that actually, you know, this is our mission. And then the thing is, you have to look at the capability you have. You have to look at how you can improve the capability of the people there, maybe bring things in, maybe do stuff. You have to look at all the products you're offering. You know, there, there are a whole load of stuff and all those things need to be uh, managed. I love your passion for, 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 for the people who are going to be listening on podcasts. Unfortunately, you don't see the benefit of my brother arms waving and, you know, really getting into the topic. It's fantastic. This is a life's work. So I love that. So the colory question to that is, so what are the barriers to innovation and how do you oh. break them down? Oh, the, the barriers, there are lots of barriers to innovation. We're a successful company. <laughs> <laughs> why, 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 why do we need to change? 
Yeah, exactly. Right? You, you must have uh, come across that many yes, times, right? Of course, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, we have all the talent already. Uh, you know, um, so the, the barriers to innovation are also, there's a vision. We need to be here in 10 years' time when we have a nice picture, management changes, vision changes. We say we need to invest in the future, but as soon as there's hard times, the, the blue sky research, the moonshot gets cut. Yeah. To focus on the bottom line. So the, 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 it's, it, there are many, many things that, uh, uh, that, that actually uh, hold the organizations back. It could also be the top management see very clearly what they need to do. They put in all the, all the tools, all the platforms, all the investments to make it work. You've got an engaged workforce, it's uh, the trained, it's motivated, they want to get involved in problems. And then all the management says, you know what? We just need to focus on what we need to do today. Because <laughs> sometimes your barriers are internal. Absolutely. You know, it, 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 it's a really great point. And um, it's a fabulous point uh, because here's the other side. So I'm sure you've sat many times with the CFO of the company. And the CFO of the company is going to turn around and says, but we don't have an open checkbook with this stuff, right? We don't have an open checkbook. And yet it's a very fine balancing act behind, you know, continuing to invest and, you know, where's the return on investment and where's it coming? So I'm sure you face that oh. all over the world. <laughs> I'm sure you face it all. Over. So what are the structures and processes? What, 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 you know, in order to make sure that you drive the right level of accountability, individual accountability, right level of competence in people and, and the projects, understanding the kind of milestones and where you should invest, because some of this is going to be a roll of a dice, BJ, we know that. Some are going to be great hits, and I'm sure most of them are going to be, you know, stuff that doesn't work out. But there's a, a balancing act, and, and you mentioned about, you know, the environment and maybe the current economy, et cetera. How do you balance, you know, the particular processes and structures that would be most effective to encourage corporate innovation? While being, while being responsibly, you know, from a corporate standpoint, while being responsible? Uh, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a great question. And uh, a lot of companies are struggling with exactly that. Yeah, uh, because, uh, uh, as we say, sometimes uh, you can source some really great ideas. But actually, because uh, we don't have the knowledge, we don't have the, uh, the vision of stuff, the ideas mm -hmm. are dying. So if you want to get that balance right, you need to make sure you put your money on the right uh, projects at the right time. Yep. You, we have this phrase of you need to fail fast. Yeah. It's not gonna work, kill it as quickly as you possibly can. Yeah. You need to have that, you need to have a, and you need to accept that actually many of the projects you will start will not make it. So how do you go through a process of, of looking at how your pipeline is emerging, how you're holding uh, people accountable, how you're looking. You know, we talk about the VUCA world, about how things are changing all the time. You know, it, it's not this, uh, you can't, you, maybe some companies can ring fence an innovation budget. This is what, we, many companies can't do that. So it's just this dynamism all the time and management needs to get involved. They need to be, they, they need to put their money on, yes, I need to invest in the future, but I need to make sure I invest in the right things. And so when you pick up, your project team, make sure you're not putting the people that you would normally put in it. Yes. Putting different people. People are seeing things differently. Bringing some consultants from the outside, bringing people who are into that. Think about the new business models that you may have. And before you jump into technology, make sure you know how you're going to sell it stuff, you know? So get, a, get the balance of the new uh, uh, opportunities, source them, nurture them, grow them, 
but also think about how you're going to make uh, money. And, and when companies are very traditional in the way they work, sometimes these things are hard. And because they're hard, things stop. And so the, in, in terms of making sure you make the right decisions, making sure there needs to be a commitment by management, we're going to follow it, uh, we're going to chase it. There's no point putting KPIs and milestones and all that. Sometimes it doesn't, it, it doesn't help you. That's for a project that's running. When it's a risky investment, basically what's happening is that as time goes by, you're becoming more predictable. Yeah. Okay. So how do you nurture that, that, uh, that, that uh, research phase? How do you nurture those risky investments? How do you set up a startup mentality within your organization? How do you detangle a startup mentality from your mainstream organizations that's uh, looking at traditional ways of working, knows the market, knows the channels, and you're looking at things which are completely disruptive? You have to give the organization the ability to breathe, and you have to give the organization, maybe a, a different type of organization, the ability to take on these, uh, uh, the, the, these uh, highly risky projects uh, um, for the future. So that's what, I mean, that's what I would say. Love it. Okay, so we're going to get contemporary now. We touched on, uh, you know, we're currently in a very, very different time. We're in crazy times now, but obviously with our COVID environment, uh, we're still, we don't even know what phase we're at now or what cycle we're in. And how we're going to come out the other end. You and I have had deep conversations over the phone. My, my BJ, uh, you know, for the viewers, uh, is in the UK, and I'm in the US. Um, we've had some deep conversations. So let's open this one up now, BJ. So how do you see global innovation changing in a post-COVID environment? And you, 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 you've, you've mentioned, uh, you know, challenge innovation in our conversations on the phone. You've, you've mentioned, uh, you know, keeping open innovation alive and well and kicking. Um, so, you know, what new providers, companies, business models and ecosystems might emerge? Yeah. It's a, it's a great question, and, and uh, all the things you talked about, actually, uh, the COVID, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. When you have a, a, a global pandemic, how uh, things can suddenly become uh, much more, because we're all fighting uh, for the same, uh, same problem. You know, you know, can you imagine in, in the past that uh, actually car companies were making respirators? Yeah. Can you imagine uh, we, we're trying to get uh, personal protective equipment and we can't, and, and companies like eBay are getting involved to help you uh, set your systems up so you, you can do that. Are you imagining private and academic working together on vaccines? You, know, you would not have imagined that, but the, the, pand the, the global pandemic and the search for this uh, vaccine is driving a lot of change. And, and one of the simplest uh, models is actually is called, as you mentioned, challenge-driven challenge innovation. So this is the problem that we have. How do we solve it? We need more respirators. We need more face masks. We need more of this. We need more of that. And it's, uh, it's your set, as we talked about earlier on, you're elaborating the problem. This is what you want, and you're engaging people. Uh, we need to find a cure for, um, uh, for COVID. Uh, think about it. You've got companies now saying, hey, I have some assets from uh, other diseases, Ebola, from malaria. Hey. Uh, run some tests, see if they will solve the problem. You know, that's what open innovation is about. It, it's really sh going outside your comfort zone and getting other teams to try to help you uh, do the things and it's for a cause. So what happens post-COVID? We knew already, Richard, that the, the world of digital was going to change everything. We know that already. You know yourself, you're, you're now in a lockdown. You can't go to the shops. So you're buying more online. 
you can't go to the bricks and mortar uh, stuff. You're using uh, electronic uh, cash. You can't go because uh, you have to wear a face mask. You can't go out because of the social distancing. All those things, many companies, I'm sure, understood the need to change for digitization. And some of them got there very quickly. The laggards are now going to be in the position where, you know what, it's actually reality. We have to move on this or we're not going to be surviving. So what COVID is doing is really focusing, um, uh, I think it's just amplifying what we've been doing already, but it, everywhere. And, and so, you know, post-COVID uh, depends on how long it is. Yeah. If it's a short one, uh, maybe um, things uh, will, will, will manage in this way. If it's a long one, then uh, there will be some dramatic changes uh, because of the socialization in the future. And it's really how uh, companies will respond to that. I don't think we can go back to the way we were in the past. I don't think, uh, you know, companies may have, some companies are very, very progressive when it comes to open innovation, sourcing technology, looking beyond the borders, looking in other areas. Will all companies do that in the future? Uh, because the ones that will do that may survive. You have to look for new opportunities. Look at the things that's going on now. You can't have music festivals. You can't have Glastonbury, for example, in the UK. So people are having uh, online. Look at what's going on now with uh, communication. People are using online tools a, a lot more. You know, people are coming up with recipes and, and, and a lot of stuff. So the world has changed. How much has changed? I think there are certain things which are driving it anyway. The digitization, the, the, the cash, uh, and, 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 and the shopping will just amplify all that one. The question is, how long will it last? And what will that mean to the companies that can't uh, change uh, quickly enough? Right. So I think, I think it's just driving change, but it's showing you the power of resources coming together, uh, you know, with uh, public-private uh, uh, um, uh, collaboration and, and working together for a great cause. Maybe companies have to look at, uh, you know, profitability, they'll look at ways they can, look at the, the skies are blue, right? I hear, you know, the, the rivers are nice and, and clean. Yeah. There's no mm -hmm. scared. The, the birds are singing, people hear the birds. So there, there is a world out there that people have become used to. So how are you going to maintain all that? How are you going to deal with climate change? How are you going to deal with sustainability? How are you going to deal with these uh, unconventional working practices? How are you going to deal with all of these things? And I think that's a challenge that uh, companies have. But there are good indicators already. Collaborating and working in, in completely un unrelated industries can help. Being more open to, uh, uh, to outside can help. You just have to be very creative now. Right, you're hitting on it. You're hitting on a great point, and and you've you've also kind of seeped into the the next question, which is around other global challenges. But before that, you're hitting into a really point about uh, you know collaboration, you know, both within and between companies. We we're seeing more of that in terms of at least uh, you know here in the U.S. We're seeing uh, you know companies pitching now about you know building respirators and so forth. So we're seeing more of that. The trickier point now is national collaboration. <laughs> Right? You don't have to get too political on, on, on this. Yeah. Is, is it lone wolf? Is it lone? Because, you know, you could argue that, uh, you know, given a new environment and social distancing and a new world coming out of this, that, uh, you know, there's an argument for more of lone wolf or isolation type behavior. But in order to, in order to solve this, in order to solve this, you know, this may require much more national collaboration. What's your view on that? 
Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I, I think the they they talk about the new norm, right? Yes. <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea what the new norm new norm is. Right. What it is, it's not what we had before. Right. Okay. It's uh, and, and 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 to me, I think going back to you know looking at the you know national ways, I I I really can't see how it go back. We talked about technology. Technology isn't isolated. Right. Uh, in America, it's not. It's it's a global phenomena, and looking at how things are connected now and, and interconnected, and the competition. You know, you, I, I think you know we there has to be uh, the, the one of the lessons learned is that basically there is a global networking now, global community, and I think uh, you, you cannot kind of go back to the old-fashioned way of working. I agree. I agree. Okay. All right. So, what are the major global challenges today? Will require that collaborative focus. And uh, well, I think you know. I, I mean, we, we can talk about health, but the, the one area for me, it's um, it's obviously um, many maybe listeners don't know, but something like I think it's 820 million people go hungry every night. Wow. So uh, you know, so uh, one one of the challenges, and, and there are many uh, articles you'll, you'll read about uh, sustainable development. How you're going to feel feed the the, the hungry world. How are you going to take care of uh, the technology? How are you going to take care of of, uh, of uh, soil? How are you going to take care of the climate? How are you going to take care of, of precious water and all that kind of stuff? And and feeding the world to me, it's it's uh, it's it's a really big issue for for. And then of course you've got um, uh, and when you talk about collaboration, and then you've got the small holding farmers in India and Africa, uh, you know who. Uh, are taking innovation and, and so if you kind of unwrap it all so you've got these very large organizations big big farms and they're looking at uh, digital solutions how you can optimize uh the the inputs in your soil you know depending on your soil type the weather the rainfall the seed the, the crop and all that kind of stuff and digitization of maximizing the yield on your piece of land that that that's uh, that, that's that's coming in as part of you know the sustainability goals, uh, and and you can see see that working working its way through. On the other hand, you've got the small holding farmer who are also part of feeding the world, uh, but basically they maybe can't get to the market. Maybe uh, you have to look at how you grow more cooperatives and how they will get income for a farmer. Sustainability is also making enough money, right? Right. And, and so and then you've also got the consumer who, uh, in some parts of the world, you know, they they tell you what they want and what they don't want. I don't want this, I don't want whatever, you know. And so how are you going to put all this together? You're going to put it all together because you're going to need uh, major companies working with the NGOs. They're going to have to be working with uh, the, the supermarkets, the Whole Foods, whatever. They're going to have to be working with small farmers and cooperatives. And that's the only way I, I believe that uh, you know, feeding the world, taking care of the environment, making sure we protect the environment, the climate, uh, can be done, uh, and, and many companies are working on that one. And of course, as you go into the the kind of new technologies, you need to collaborate. You need to understand how you collaborate. And we talked already about business models. Maybe maybe in order to foster uh, sustainability and, and and getting people to become more sustainable, there has to be some financial reward for them. And, and so, how do you build all these things together? And I think one way you can do it. One single company can't do it. It needs to be a collaboration across all these uh, different players, making sure the, the the sustainability is embedded in the organizations. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, for our emerging leaders, these are just fabulous, fabulous wisdom bites. So 
Thank you for that, BJ. Thank you. We'll move to the next segment, which is the open question. What would you change, business or life? And if you had a <laughs> what would you change? Um, what would I change, life? I always wanted to be a rock star. <laughs> because, because I think... Never too late. <laughs> yeah. I drum lessons. Because I think, you know, musicians just bring happiness, right? Exactly. They just bring happy, uh, musicians that just bring happiness to people's lives, you know. I would have loved to have been a sportsman. Uh, in my era, a sportsman didn't make a good living. But, you know, we, we, we talked about the Michael Jordan. Uh, oh, of course, yes. It's a, it's a fantastic story. I, I guess, you know, taking all the kind of uh, dream stuff uh, aside, I guess the one thing I would have liked to have done is, um, and it's all around innovation, so we, we were, were starting on this journey of innovation and, and we talked about you know, your, your portfolio, we talked about setting up uh, the infrastructure, inspiring people, how you manage um, 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 you know, the, the risky investments in the future, the disruptive innovation, how you're coaching people, how you're, how you're making sure that everybody feels involved. And I guess the one thing I would have liked, I would probably have liked another five or ten years uh, more okay. because it's such an exciting time now to see, to see if all that stuff worked. I'm a great experimenter. I'm a great experimenter. You know, I, I, I don't. You know, the, the one thing about you know, we, we talked about how how you, how innovation works or, or how you make it people more innovative. You know, I guess, and you know this, Richard. You know, I can show you many, many uh, academic articles of great thinkers. And, and they will explain, uh, you know, the, the why, the what, the how, you know, open innovation, the importance of customer, they, they will explain it. And, and it's, they're very, very, very good. Uh, and, and for me, I like to roll up my sleeves. Right. I like to get involved with the people. And that's why I say I wish I had another five years, because, you know, you mentored people to write problems. You've mentored people to get involved with life hubs in Boston, you mentored people to do a lot of stuff because you learn yourself. You know the things that worked and the whole progression is that you actually learn from your mistakes and, and keep on doing more and more and more. So a lot of things are new, a lot of things we started, but it would be nice to actually say, you know what, let's see how it all panned out. Did these disruptive innovations really make it? And what did we learn from it? And was that really the best way? Uh, or how do you build the capability of the future? You know, and all these things. So. Lots of things, yeah, I've had a, a wish list. But in, but in the world of reality, it would have been nice to actually have had a few more years to actually see whether or not these things settled and whether or not uh, the innovation mindset of actually it, it automatically becomes part of our DNA. That if we have a problem, we don't try to solve the problem ourselves. We go and engage other people who are likely to get us the answer quicker and they're much better, stronger. And, and, and that's the cultural stuff. And, and I know companies have been working on, on, on that culture story, Procter and Gamble, you know, 20 years uh, and, and connecting development and, and, and many organizations like that. And, and they will say, you know, that the culture, there's not a, it's, yeah, we got it. It's it, we got the culture. It, it's, it's slowly, slowly going because the, the, the organization is changing, everything is changing. And so for me, uh, it's a, a long-winded answer, but I would like to see some of these things we started. <laughs> Well, you, you know, the, 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 the fun answer is, the fun answer of BJ is uh, now you've got optionality because it really is a raving success. It was your idea. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't yeah. quite anyway. 
said it was a shared one because I'm your brother. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, what are you grateful for? Um, what am I grateful for? I'm grateful for, uh, we talked about the family. Yes. It's a constant source in this way. I'm grateful for having uh, a family that uh, we all share the same values uh, and are thankful for what we have and know that we're, uh, we're uh, lucky people. Yes. We should uh, change that. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for uh, the opportunities that I've had. And, and, and I've been very lucky. I've uh, had people that have supported me uh, along the way. And, and yeah, I think it's, uh, it's, it's for me, it's more to do with the kind of family, you know, uh, yes. and it's, it's what brings you happiness, right? It's, uh, but life is about uh, the memories that you have and the people that you love. Of course. And, and, and BJ, um, you know, I've, I've Proud of my three lovely nieces, um, oh. daughters, and my lovely sister-in-law. Just, just tremendous human beings. Tremendous human beings. Very proud of them. All right. So the quick fire round. The okay. quick fire round. You right. So, what is your one piece of advice you would give uh, to spark creative genius? <laughs> one piece of advice. Um, uh, do it when you're in the shower. <laughs> No holds bar. Actually, uh, there's lots of research actually says you are your most creative when you're in the shower because you're, don't hold yourself back. The one advice is don't go with assumptions. Just let yourself go. When you're doing brainstorm, just let yourself go. Just just go, you know, and and then you you reel it back in. But don't, uh, a lot of innovators, uh, they they, uh, start to do the, oh, what if, and, and then they do all the assumptions. Just let yourself go. Absolutely. Great, great answer. All right. What would you say is the most important innovation of our millennium? Ah, of our millennium. Um, um, I would probably say um, the artificial intelligence and uh, deep learning. Okay. Uh, All right. Are, are, are quite, uh, um, well, it, it's basically... You know, when, when I look at uh, what's going on uh, and the ability of machines, they never forget anything. When I look at, um, you know, at health and uh, in, in the world, I think the deep learning, the ability of thing, machines, I think that's, uh, that's, that's, of course, the internet as well. Yes, of course. Uh, okay. Democratizing knowledge and, and things like that. But if I had to be where I am now, I, I would say that probably. Um, okay, you know, all right. Artificial intelligence. Same question. But what would you say most important innovation in history? I'm speaking to a scientist now who is uh, <laughs> the most important in history. <laughs> and you can only pick one. <laughs> I can only pick one. Oh, man, that's terrible. <laughs> All because, right. Maybe. You know, because, yeah, yeah, you know, because, you know, because uh, if... Oh. Um. I would, um, yeah, that's a difficult one. You know, because I, the only reason I, I smile is because if I was in, uh, for example, if I was in a part of the world, third world country, uh, where I was having to walk every day for two hours to go and collect uh, uh, my water early in the morning, bring it home, then go to school, and then in the evening I have to go back and go and walk again those I would say a bicycle is quite important. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So, you know, but, you know, the, 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 the greatest right now is uh, this stuff uh, with gene editing. It's called the CRISPR-Cas technology. 
where you're able to uh, uh, look at uh, DNA and how it will impact personalized medicine and cure diseases in the future. I think that's a, an emerging uh, area. So I would say, uh, depending on where you are, you know, uh, but if you are, but yeah, I mean, CRISPR-Cas, uh, the DNA taking away misery and disease for the human race in the future. Understood. Okay, that's cool. All right. Now, you and I, over the years, we've talked about many heroes. I know your, your personal ones that keep coming up, you know, Emperor Augustus, Mahatma Gandhi, <laughs> Nelson Mandela, Bill Gates. All right. And you've been around Nobel, you know, prize winners as well. So my, my last question is, who is your favorite innovation hero and why? <laughs> I thought you were going to give me the easy ones. Okay. Only one. Only one. Okay. Only one. Only one. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, well, you, you mentioned Bill Gates. He'd have been. Uh, well, um, uh, I, I would say probably uh, Leonardo da Vinci, actually. Okay. All right. All right. Leonardo Interesting. da Vinci. And, and, the, and the one thing about, I mean, this is in the 15th century, but the one thing about Leonardo da Vinci, actually, you see the mind that he has. He was an engineer, sculptor, painter, inventor, mathematician. I mean, he was just, he was, uh, uh, you know, he was such a, a, an important, uh, a bright, you know, he, he was seeing things in the future that people didn't even imagine. And, and, and there's some, some uh, theories about if you're in an organization and you want to see what the future might look like, you get people who write science fiction because they're dreaming things that uh, whatever. And, and Leonardo, you know, with his helicopters, and look at how he, you know, he, uh, you know, he drafted the, uh, the bicycle or how he drafted machines that man could fly or, Look at his, his hands and, his, and, and how the body uh, moves and the muscles and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I think for me, he was just so far ahead of his time. And, and some people have made some of his uh, uh, machines that he drew. He would not have known about metallurgy. He would not, and they, they work. But the, the reason why I would say him, Richard, and to me, it's unbelievable. The guy never had a formal education. Wow, isn't that amazing? Wow, amazing. You know? he did not have a formal education. Yeah, but he worked with people along the way, picked things up. But he just had this uh, this brain that was able to come up with all these fantastic ideas uh, that are way, way uh, beyond. So, uh, of all of them, uh, probably uh, I would say Leonardo. That is and and this is so coincidental because uh, again, none of this none of this conversation is, is scripted with my brother. But uh, my wife Nasima, only two nights ago, she's reading. At nighttime, she'll pick up, you know, Everyday Greatness, which is a book of, of stories of, you know, of everyday people and everyday greatness. But one of them was molded on Leonardo da Vinci. And she started to say, did you know this? In addition to obviously being a great artist, did you know this, 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 this? Yeah, and yeah. I was amazed. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. I remember the tour, but he was so broad in his talent. It was absolutely, absolutely. It was, yeah. wow, that's awesome. Well, I need to talk to Nazima next. <laughs> <laughs> oh well well bj lovingly i love you very much you've been yes. a tremendous role model to to me you're you're the eldest of, of all our siblings there's five of us behind you um two brothers as you and me as as the boys in the family and four girls and uh i can't i can't be more proud and honored to be your younger brother you've been a tremendous role model to all of us and for, for the listeners uh listen to this um what a wealth of wisdom bites i know this is your passion you're retired and uh, I get a WhatsApp message from me every day about, you know, 
the latest thing that's going on in the world and I'll show my boys and my wife that and they can't lose this. God, Uncle Jerry's just so smart, you know. Where, where, no. where in the family did he come from? <laughs> no, no, I think, Richard, the question is, where did you come from? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, this is awesome. And, and this has been okay. superb. Thank you right. so much, BJ. Um, well, love you very you. much. And, and love, to the, love to the girls and, and Eileen, okay? Okay, all take care, Richard. Love you. All okay. Bye. Bye-bye. I hope that you found today's session valuable. If so, please follow me on Instagram at outcome.richard and post your comments. Thank you again. Until the next podcast.